You know, we're spending these next few weeks looking at the Gospel of John. This invitation to experience a full life, abundant life, life as God intends for it to be. Life lived in fellowship and relationship with God and with one another so that all people might know the goodness of who God is. You know, as we go through this, I just also want to just share one thing with you quickly this morning. Um, Beginning next Sunday, from Sunday, May the 1st, until June 5th, which is Pentecost Sunday, we're going to be in this series of Abundant Life together, but we're also inviting people to come together for a time of prayer. This is actually an invitation from the Church of the Nazarene for all of the church across the USA and Canada as we're inviting the church to set aside these several weeks in prayer, just humbling ourselves and asking God to work in and through God's church in these current days in which we find ourselves. And so I'd invite you to to join us in this season of prayer. And actually, the Church of the Nazarene has put together some devotional guides to help us through this time. And they actually had some really wonderful printed guides that churches could purchase for their people. And within one week, those all sold out completely. (laughs) So we have printed some of those for you, and we have those out at our welcome table. We have some in booklet form, and the print is small. And I'm not saying that some of you might need larger print. But we do have some larger print ones available as well that are stapled there. And if you would like that as a PDF, uh, you can download that as a PDF. And we had links to that in our midweek email this last week. And we'll have that in our midweek email this coming week. If you don't get our midweek email and you would like to, just send us a message at info at svnc.org, and we'll send that to you. Uh, And you can also download an app that has this prayer guide. Uh, Whether you do that or not, I would invite you just to join us in prayer. Our desire is for God to work in fresh and new ways in God's church. Amen? And we want to see that happen in our local congregation and in the church of God throughout the U.S. and Canada and around the world. And so I just invite you to join us as we pray together as a church. Sound good? All right. There's a few quiet answers there, but I think you're with me on that. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to join me in the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 20 today, beginning in verse 19, and I'd invite you to stand as we read God's Word this morning. It was still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors, because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. 
After eight days, his disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. Thomas responded to Jesus, My Lord and my God. Jesus replied, Do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. Then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the disciples' presence. Signs that aren't recorded in this scroll. But these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son. And that believing, you will have life in his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say together, Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. You know, the other day I was in the car with my, my kids and they asked me a question. They said, hey, Dad, when you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, one of the earliest things I remember wanting to be when I grew up was a train engineer. I, I wanted to be a train engineer, and so I would constantly wear my striped Oshkosh Pakosh overalls with a matching hat, and I probably would have worn them every single day had my mom not insisted on washing them every now and then. Maybe it's because I love trains so much, but it also happened to be that my favorite book was The Little Engine That Could. Some of you know that book as well, right? It just so happens that when my son was little, he showed an interest in trains much to my delight. And so as, as a proud father, I discovered at that time that they had actually made a, a full-length film about the book, The Little Engine That Could. Did you know there was a, a movie made about the book? A full-length cartoon on the little engine that could. So I, I bought this, this movie and started watching it with my son. And, and, and obviously to make a full-length film out of a short children's book, you've got to kind of add a little bit of stuff to this. So, so the storyline took place where there was this fleet of trains that delivered dreams and toys from dreamland into the real world. Well, the little engine was a shunter train. It was an engine whose only purpose served to move cars around the railroad yard and, and not to go out from that place. The big trains did all the heavy work of, of taking the loads of dreams and toys to the children. One of these big trains had kind of been working overtime and was a little tired and decided to take a break while in the real world before going back to dreamland. And during this break, a, a real boy climbed on board and was on the train when it went back into dreamland. Well, this created all kinds of problems. The magic tunnel that the trains used to get from dreamland to the real world caved in. And now there was no way for trains to get back to the real world. So this created several problems. There's, there's a real boy stuck in dreamland, and there's dreams in dreamland that can't get to the real world. You can see how big of a problem this is. So the trains start working to try to dig out the tunnel, but Little Engine learns that before the tunnel was built, there was actually tracks that went over the mountain to the real world. And those tracks still existed. 
Well, little engine tries to tell everybody, but nobody listens to him. And so finally, he takes it upon himself to get up over this mountain. While he's trying to cross over the mountain, he, he encounters this other train, the nightmare train. This train still uses those tracks to get to the real world, but instead of bringing dreams, he brings nightmares. And little train engine has to deal with nightmare train, and then eventually he has to get up over this mountain, and he says those famous words, I think I can, I think I can. I'll let you figure out how the rest of the movie works itself out. <laughs> but you know, when I first showed this to my son, he loved this movie, but then he noticed the nightmare train. And he was real little at the time. And it just so happened that we put him to bed about 8 o'clock every night, and about 8.15 or 8.20, you could hear the echoes of a train whistle from across town. And he became convinced that the nightmare train was going to show up at our house. Even though the closest train tracks were three miles away, he thought that somehow this train was going to show up at our house, even though we were nowhere near railroad tracks. You know, belief is a funny thing, isn't it? Especially when we have doubts and fears. Especially when we have doubts and fears, they can override our rational thought and cause us to think all kinds of things that we know aren't true deep in our hearts. That's some of what is happening here in these verses in John's gospel. I mean, this was the greatest day in the history of the world. Jesus has been resurrected. Jesus has conquered sin and death. And where are the disciples? Closed away in a room, hiding because they're afraid. Fear does funny things to us, doesn't it? Fear and, and doubts can do all sorts of, of funny things to us. And John tells us that while the disciples are in this room afraid, he shows up in their midst and says, peace be with you. Now that was a pretty common greeting at that time, but, but it was also a greeting that, that carried a lot of significance. In the Old Testament, the idea of God's peace was, was associated with the coming of the Messiah. The coming of the Messiah and what the Messiah would do for God's people. We see this in a number of places in the Old Testament. One of the places where we find this is in the book of the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel had been a priest in Jerusalem when, Babylon, when, when Babylon's armies first attacked Jerusalem. During the first attack, Babylon spared Jerusalem, but this was the first time they took people into exile. And guess who was among the exiles? Ezekiel. He was one of the exiles. When he found himself in Babylon, he was communicating to God's people, calling them to repent and to turn back to God while there was still hope and while there was still a chance to be spared. But eventually, Ezekiel learns that Jerusalem has been conquered and the temple has been destroyed. And the question that lingers is, is God done with God's people? Could there be any hope left for God's people? Well, as we read through Ezekiel, we discover that there is, in fact, still hope. 
When we find this, one of the first pictures that is painted for us is God as a shepherd. A shepherd who goes out to find his lost sheep. And when he finds his lost sheep, he safely brings them home and cares for all of their wounds. We hear echoes of this in John chapter 10 when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And you know, shortly after that passage, we come to this passage in Ezekiel where Ezekiel has his vision and he's, he's standing there and there's this, this huge valley that is filled with dry bones. That's an important distinction because these are bones that have been there for a long time. There's nothing left on the bones and they've been, been dried out and bleached by the sun. They are long ago dead. There is far from any hope left for these bones. Some of you are familiar with this story. What happens though? These, these bones begin to come together and then there is, is tendons and, and muscles that join them together and then these bodies are covered with flesh and then the breath of God, the Spirit of God fills their lungs and they live once again. And this is a metaphor for the spiritual nature of God's people. Spiritually, they'd been dead for a long time. But what is God going to do? God will breathe God's spirit back into them once again, and they will live for the purposes for which they were intended. Amen. You know, this, this passage in Ezekiel goes on, it's, it goes on and it says that, that God will make a covenant peace with his people. You hear that word peace? My peace I give to you. And right after God says that he will bring or, or have covenant peace with them, God goes on to say that he will dwell with them and that it is God dwelling with God's people. All the other nations will see this happening. And when they see God dwelling with God's people, they will know that God truly is God. Well, what is it that we see happening in, in John chapter 20? Here, Jesus' disciples are gathered, afraid. They think their world is over. They think there is no hope, there is no future. And Jesus shows up and says, my peace I give to you. And then, according to John, Jesus breathes the Spirit upon his people. Now, that word is, is significant, and, and stick with me for, for just a moment here. Have any of you ever heard of the Septuagint? The Septuagint was the Greek translation of the Old Testament. A couple hundred years before Jesus came, not as many people knew Hebrew, so they worked to translate this into Greek. And, and this was the Old Testament that was most commonly used by followers of God. In fact, it's the Greek Septuagint that we often find quotations from in the New Testament. I say all of that for this reason. In John, when it says that Jesus breathed upon his followers and breathed the Holy Spirit upon them, that word for breathe shows up two times in the Greek or Septuagint. The first time is in Genesis chapter 2, when God gathers the dust of the earth and forms people and breathes his life-giving spirit into the people that God has created from the dust of the earth. 
The second time we find that word in the Old Testament is in Ezekiel 37. When those bones have been gathered and God breathes the life-giving spirit into these bones so that God's people can live for their purposes once again. And so when John uses this word, John is, is reminding us that, that here Jesus shows up in the midst of his followers who think there is no future, no hope, and God shows up and says, there is a hope. My life-giving power of my spirit will be in you once again so that you can live for the purposes for which you were fully intended, not only for yourselves, but so that when others see my spirit in you, they will know that I am God. And all of this is happening here on this day of the resurrection. This is something new that is happening. God is, is fulfilling these things that God has talked about for such a long time. Well, the passages we read, it, it fast forwards a week ahead of time. Now, if you're paying attention, it said eight days later. You got to remember, there, there's the, the way that the counting was was a little bit different. We, we see this in the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus because Jesus died on what day of the week? Friday. And we are told that how many days later he was raised from the dead? Three days later. Friday, the day he died. Saturday, Sunday. Three days later. So when it says eight days later, there was that first Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You see that? So here, here the disciples were gathered together one week later. The second Sunday of the resurrection. And we're told that, that Thomas is there. And Thomas, I think Thomas gets a bad rap. How do we usually refer to Thomas? Doubting Thomas, right? I think that Thomas gets a bad rap. Because what does Thomas say? Thomas says, listen, unless I can encounter our risen Lord, I'm not sure I can believe that he's truly been raised from the dead. Thomas is just asking for the same thing that the rest of the disciples got the week before. Remember, until the disciples had physically encountered the resurrected Lord, what were they doing? They were gathered in fear, right? Thomas just asked for the same thing that everybody else got. He just wants the same thing. He just doesn't get it till a little bit later. But when Thomas encounters the resurrected Lord, how does he respond? My Lord. My Lord. Now, that's a pretty incredible statement. You know, tradition tells us that Thomas would go on in missionary work. He would go as far away as India, proclaiming the good news of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And according to tradition, Thomas would be martyred for his faith but he would go down as one of the patron saints of the Christian gospel. Thomas also received the Holy Spirit so that he in turn could go and let that be seen by all people so that they would know that God truly is God. You know, after all this, our passage kind of comes to an aside. You know what an aside is? If you're ever watching in a play, an aside is, is one of the characters kind of stops the regular interaction and they step aside and they address those who are gathered there to make sure that everybody who's gathered there understands what it is that has been happening here. 
That's kind of what John's gospel does. John says, you know, Jesus did a whole lot of other miracles besides this. But these miracles, these stories are shared with you so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior, and that by believing you might have abundant life. So that by believing, you might experience life the way that it was intended to be. Life in fellowship with God and one another in such a way that others also would see the life that comes from God lived out within you. You know, there's a couple of things about this passage that, that I particularly find encouraging and, and encouraging to me and, and, and I think to us. One of these is the realities that this call that we have, the call to, to let God's life fill us so that it can be seen by others, is, is not a call that we have to try to make happen on our own. We're not alone, are we? And we see that in this story. On the first Sunday of the resurrection, Jesus showed up with his people. They were not alone, were they? On the second Sunday of the resurrection, Jesus showed up with his people. They were not alone, were they? And any time that two or three people are gathered in his name, Christ is there. We are not alone, are we? We are not alone. You know, something else that I really enjoy about this passage is not only does Jesus show up with where his people are, Jesus fills his people where they are. Jesus shows up and he dwells in their midst. He, he dwells in their presence. And the way that John describes this to us is, John says it's through the breath of Jesus that the Spirit fills God's people. And I've come to really enjoy this picture that John paints for us in chapter 20. Here, here, here's why. Uh, can, you, can you all help me out with something today? Sure. Depends on what I'm about to ask. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Now, I heard some of you doing that. Before you did that, were any of you wondering if there would be oxygen there to fill your lungs? No. You didn't bother thinking about that. You just took a deep breath and took in the oxygen, right? Every time we go to breathe, the oxygen is there to fill our lungs. I've come to think of that too. Every time we breathe, we can be reminded that the Holy Spirit is with us. Every time we breathe, we can be reminded that the Holy Spirit is with us. And even when that day comes, when we can no longer take a breath, the story of the resurrection reminds us that not even death has the final say. That God will be with us in that place too. Amen? This is the good news of the story of the resurrection. You know, earlier I said belief is a funny thing. That sometimes fear and doubt override what we're thinking and get in the way and can cause us to have struggles with that. 
You know, that happens sometimes. Even though, even though we can gather in this place and say, yes, Jesus Christ has conquered sin and death. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. We're not alone. God has given his spirit to be with us. Sometimes in those places of fear and doubt, we can struggle to hold that in our heart. Especially at times when life seems so chaotic and, and uncertain and, 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 and just dark and all of those things. You know, as I think of that, I'm reminded of the first place in Scripture where God's Holy Spirit showed up. You know the first place where the Spirit shows up? In the beginning, when the earth was a dark chaotic, watery mess. In the beginning, when the only thing that was, was fear and doubt, the Spirit hovered over the earth. And the breath of God spoke in to what was chaos and created order and life where chaos once reigned. You know, God shows up in places of chaos and disorder. And God brings life into those places. Amen? Amen. You know, over the last, I'd say several months, but it's probably been longer than that. It seems like we've had a lot of people in our congregation who've been going through times of chaos and darkness and disorder. And God's been in our midst in the, in, through all of these times. But you know, with, in context of this as we come today, we also wanted to do something today. We're going to take a few moments together today to offer prayers, to anoint people, and to pray for healing in the lives of individuals or on behalf of other individuals. And I know we have a handful of folks who came today wanting to be anointed. But I also know that there could be some of you here today who didn't know we were doing this. And you might want to come for yourself or on behalf of someone else and have us pray for you as well today. And we're going to do that in just a moment. I want to explain to you why we do this. We come together and we anoint people and we pray because we just happen to believe that the God who created order out of chaos in the beginning still creates order out of chaos today. And we happen to believe that the God who raised Jesus from the dead and conquered sin and death can overcome sin and death in our lives today as well. Amen? And we also do this because we're instructed to do this. In James chapter 5, it tells us that if there are those who are sick, that the church should gather together and anoint them and offer prayers for healing in God's name. And so we're going to do that as well. And we just happen to believe that God still works through prayer. Now, we can't always put a finger on how that works. Prayer is not a, a magic formula where we have to say the exact right things in order for God to work. But we do believe that God works through prayer. You know, one of my favorite examples of this comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 21. When God's people had been grumbling and complaining and these poisonous snakes started coming into the camp of Israel. And they started biting people and people started to die and 
So they cried out to Moses and said, you got to save us. And so Moses comes before God and God tells Moses to, to build a bronze serpent and to put it on a stake and put that stake there in camp. So anytime someone was, was bitten by a snake, they could come and look at this bronze snake and be healed. Now that's kind of a crazy story, isn't it? I mean, a bronze snake to go there and be healed, that kind of sounds like idol worship, doesn't it? Let me ask you a question though. Who is it who healed the people? It's God who healed the people. God just asked them to be obedient to what he was asking them to do. I don't fully know how prayer works. But I know that God invites us to humble ourselves and to come in prayer. And that God works through prayer. Amen? Amen. There's one other thing here with this. I'm also reminded of a passage we kind of talked about a few weeks ago. It comes from the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, there was a couple of guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who said that they were committed to worshiping God no matter what. And then a time came when they were going to be thrown into a fiery furnace unless they turned their backs on God. And you know what they said? They said, we believe that our God can rescue us from the fiery furnace. But even if God chooses not to rescue us, we will still worship God because God alone is Lord. Right? So we believe that God still makes things new. That God still creates. We believe that God has asked us to come and do this. And so we respond knowing that God works through our faithful obedience. But we also know that no matter what may come, God is still God. And God is the one who has the final say. Amen? So I'm going to invite those of you who came today wanting to be anointed to go ahead and, and come forward and to to gather at our altars, or if you can't kneel, to gather in the front pews. And if there's some others of you who are here today and you want to be anointed for yourself or on behalf of somebody else, I'd invite you to also come and to, to kneel at one of the altars or, or to sit in, in one of the front pews. Anyone today who, who wants to be uh, anointed and prayed over, I just invite you to come. And if there's some others of you who want to come and, and pray with us, we can spread out. We got, we got lots of room up here. Spread out the altars or in the front pews, wherever. If you can't kneel, you can sit in a pew. If you want to kneel, come and kneel here. And there may be some others of you who want to come and join with those who've gathered today. And our, our worship team is going to sing. And I just invite you in this time to just come before God in a spirit and attitude of prayer. And some of us pastors are just going to go through and pray for those who've come today. And then when we're done in this time of prayer, we're going to join together and conclude together. We're gathered on this Sunday, the day of the resurrection, knowing that God has conquered sin and death and knowing that the Holy Spirit is with us today. Amen? Amen.
I invite you to join in this attitude and spirit of prayer through, through prayers and through song as we continue in these moments together.
to you in darkest places I will that even in those places of doubt and fear, God is present with us in those places. And the power of God's Spirit can be at work with us in those places and in every place we go. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, today, we are so grateful for your resurrection power and for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, today we do come before you and we wait on you with the utmost confidence that you are Lord and that you care for us. And God, today as we prepare to go from this place, we're thankful that we don't go alone, but that you go with your people. And so God, we pray that you would go with us and help us to live for you and with you all we do. In your name, amen. Would you stand and join me for a benediction today? As we go, we acknowledge that we cannot live godly lives in our own strength and power. We need God's grace, and we also need one another. As we go from here, Lord, help us to Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.